36 this morning. Uh, so if you're wanting to turn to that, you can. Uh, we're going to have some of that up on, on the screen as well. I got to tell you, uh, with this psalm, in many, many ways, this is the most unique uh, psalm that we run into and some of the most unique scripture that we run into. But in other ways, it is not unique at all. The psalmist, when he sat down and he wrote this psalm, he didn't write one new idea. In fact, it's pretty clear that he borrowed from other scripture that had already existed or other things that were being said in worship services. What's unique about it is how he sets it up and how uh, the, the entire psalm is supposed to be presented and delivered. It is what's known as responsive liturgy. And uh, so what, what he does is he, he makes a statement or a truth statement or a claim. And then uh, as the priest is delivering that truth, the rest of the congregation then uh, cites or recites a, a, the refrain or the chorus back to him. And so when he makes a statement, uh, the, then the congregation, again, will then re recite that back to him. And it becomes a part of their worship service. And so what we're going to hear this morning is nothing new, but we're going to experience something slightly different. Because we are going to approach this, I think, the best way I know how, um, in how the original audience would have heard this too. So you have an active part, part, you have an active part in this. I'm going to say my part, and then you're going to see your part that you're going to repeat back up this way, all right? It's really difficult, so brace yourself. Here we go. So you're going to see this, uh, you're going to see on the screen, um, the stuff that I'm going to say is in the white. Your response is going to be in the yellow. So after I say the, the white words, you say the yellow words, all right? So this is how this is going to work. Let's see if we can get this. Saturday night got this down perfectly, so you got the standards high for you. So here we go. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him alone, or to him who, uh, who alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. The moon and stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. Hey, stay with me. We're only halfway there, all right? So let's, this is worship here, all right? So stay with me. All right. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage. A heritage to Israel, his servant. 
All right, home stretch right here. It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh, give thanks to God of heaven. You just memorized 26 verses of the Bible. Man, that's impressive. Good, good work. I wonder if you are able to tell what the theme of that psalm is. Could you figure it out? I mean, it's pretty clear, isn't it? 26 times our psalmist repeats this, that God's eternal love is the reason for everything that he does. Reading this psalm and trying to study for it, really, there's not much to study for with this psalm. It's all right there. Um, but it reminded me a little bit of when my kids were really little. I'm talking like barely able to talk little. And both girls, I would do this little game with them. And some of you have done similar games with your kids where they'd be laying there and, and you're just trying to get them to giggle or trying to get them to laugh. And I would ask them, I would look at them and go, hey, does dad love you this much? And they go, no, he doesn't love me that much. I said, does dad love you this much? No, he doesn't love you this much. Well, how much does dad love you? He loves me this much. And that's what our psalmist is telling us about Father God. Man, he loves us this much. His love endures forever. Now, if you have been in church for more than 10 minutes, you have heard guys like me come up and say, God loves you. And then we will say, let's talk about this word love. There's 1,200 different words that the New Testament used for love. Let's go through all of them this morning, right? And you've heard us analyze it and, and organize and restructure it. I think some of that is actually really good for us to pay attention to. But that's not what our psalmist does. He recounts all this activity of, of what God has done in Israel's history. And he goes, it's all rooted in God's great love that lasts forever, that collectively God loves us forever, that individually he loves you forever. Man, those first three verses, it introduces us to this idea of God's eternal love. So let me ask you this. How might the idea of being lavished with an infinite love from now, from this point through all of eternity, affect your outlook just for the day? Like, do you spend time just considering God's eternal love for you? Like, no matter what happened this week, no matter what baggage you bring in this week, no matter what circumstances around you are going on, that have you paused and just go, man, God loves me even through that, even in the midst of that. And some of the mess I brought in here this morning, I made. And God's love is forever you know, in our culture, love is a big deal, isn't it? I mean, think about all of the ways and the great lengths that men and women go through just to feel, just to feel a sense of love, even in some really unhealthy places. And sometimes we go to great lengths just to feel for just a minute. I just want to feel it for the moment. Think about all the things that we do to make sure that, or to, to find or to seek this feeling of love. In 2018, there was a massive uh, research project that, that was finally completed, and it was done um, 
by, by some research in psychology of music, uh, several different uh, several different professors and um, got together and they were they were doing some some things where they looked at the theme of love in our cultural mediums. Matter of fact, they went to a bunch of different cultural mediums and they were looking for common themes that were going on in those. And I'm talking about not just music. We got movies and television, business, government, education. All of these places that impact our culture, and they were going, all right, where are these common themes? The thing that stuck out, and none of us are surprised by this, is love showed up in every single one of these cultural mediums, and oftentimes in ways that they were marketing it. And so they went and examined some of this. What's this message that our culture sends us about this? And I just want to tell you about one part of, of their report. They examined, in part of their report, um, the pop charts from 1960 through 2015. They looked at what was popular music, the top 40 type things, and they said, what is, what is the, the big thing that that, those, that that music is showing us, that's teaching us? And obviously, none of us are surprised by this, love was the primary thing that uh, musicians write about. They reported that 73% of popular music in that time contains content about love, sex as a, meaning, uh, as a means of receiving love, and sexuality as a means of providing or giving love. 73%. Then they said, if you actually wipe out the songs from just this century, that theme increases. Like before 2000, it was up to like 80% of our music was about love, sex, or sexuality which means people that are older than me kind of were more concerned about it than the people that are my age or younger. Um, but about three quarters of the music that we listen to, um, that's the theme that shows up over and over and over again. But the reality is this, you already know that. You already know this. We look everywhere for love or a sense of it. And sometimes it's in the craziest, most unhealthy, and even the most irresponsible places. But here we have, in this psalm, we have God who says that my love, as I am the author of it, is infinitely beyond anything that you can imagine. You couldn't write a song that could properly dictate the kind of love I have for you. It's so big, it's so endless, it's so infinite that many of us don't ever get it because we sit here and try to understand it rather than just try to receive it. It's not something that we just need to analyze all the time. I've got a question for you. Because in this psalm, God's love stems from his goodness. How often do you think about how good he is? How has God shown you his goodness? Because if you're anything like me, man, I walk right past it all the time. I can spend days, weeks, even months not even thinking about his goodness. And too often I forget about it. And I just forget, he's good. My circumstances aren't all the time, but he's good. Some of us in here, we just get used to it and we take it for granted. Hey, yeah, God's good, but he's good. I, I challenge you to stop and pay attention to that. Just stop, spend part of your day and just think about his goodness and that his love is forever. And when we think about his love, our simple takeaway with that is just accept it. Just take it. Just receive his love. The God of the heavens and earth who would do anything that he wants to do loves you enduringly and infinitely because he's good. Well, the psalm keeps going, right? In the next set of verses, verses four through nine, 
Man, when you marinate on that psalm, when you marinate on that part of the psalm, you hear a message that Andy preached to us the last couple of weeks through the psalms, and it's that God is over it all. It's about the sovereignty of God. It's about the sovereignty of his, uh, that he has even over our circumstances, over my mistakes, over my victories, over the things that we get to experience. He's over it all. We will notice that in his goodness, we will see that this is simply a psalm about his omnipotence. The capital G God is over the lowercase g gods. The capital L Lord is over the lowercase L Lords. He is not only creator, but he is the keeper and sustainer of this spinning world. You ever try to spin a basketball on your finger? I used to be able to impress my youngest daughter with this because I could do it for like 10 or 15 seconds. It was awesome. She was, man, that's cool. Do it again, Dad. She didn't care about it anymore. Um, but man, I could do it. I could spin it for like 10 or 15 seconds. But you think about this. God does that with planets. And he does that with worlds and universes and galaxies. And as the keeper of those worlds, as the one who keeps the world spinning, he reaches out to you and me just to demonstrate that he cares. Just to demonstrate that he cares. As maintainer and perpetual provider, he is, uh, he is not just a what have you done for me lately, Lord, but he's eternal. The love that he loved you with in your greatest of moments is the same love that he loves you with in your lowest of moments. He spins worlds and keeps them going, and he cares for you and I. So the question is this, have you seen or even thought about just the wondrous God that he is? Like, we talk all the time about, man, God's in the small stuff, and I think that that's worth giving our attention to. But have you ever stopped and just thought about how he is, man, he does big, miraculous, crazy things that no other could do? Have you spent time doing that? When's the last time you allowed yourself to be in awe of the wonderment that is God's character and his goodness and his creativity? Awe and wonder about the things God has done and thankfulness and appreciation are inextricably bound together. The more we are thankful for God's doing, the more we notice what he does. This happened to me a few weeks ago. I, I was uh, asked to come speak at a high school camp earlier this summer. And uh, some guys that I've known for quite a while, they invited me to come up and do that. And on our last night, one of those guys, because of the job he has, he actually has these two massive telescopes. And so we set them up in the middle of our field out there, and we invited kids to come look at some things. And one of those telescopes... Um, we had fixed on the moon. And this is the picture that I got uh, when I was able to uh, finally get, get that thing going. So show that picture uh, of the moon that I have right here. You see that? I took that picture with my iPhone. Like, I didn't Google this. We stood there. There were like five grown adults staring there just going, unbelievable. Like, we were in awe. And none of us can carry a tune, but we were worshiping together. Because when we are in awe of God, that's what we get drawn into. And so we did that, and uh, I had a buddy go, hey, uh, it's, it was about 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. And he says, hey, if you wait another half hour or so, uh, Saturn's going to pop up right over the horizon over there. We might be able to catch it on another scope. And so this is the image that I was able to catch with my phone right here. Yeah, it's pretty blurry because we were trying to fix the, it was moving pretty good. We were trying to follow it with, our, with the scope, and I was trying to take a picture of it at the same time. I had a lot of hands involved in this, but I was able to grab this with my phone, and I was like, this is incredible. And it moved us in to this being, just 
being fascinated by the size and the, the, the mass and the vastness that God is. And we moved into this place of worship. God's wonders, when noticed, move us to be thankful for what he does and who he is. And the more we are thankful, the more we will notice. And we stayed up all night long just trying to catch pictures of what God has made and just trying to chase it. Well, the psalm keeps going. It doesn't end right there. In verses 10 through 16, we read of God's deliverance. See, the people of Israel look back to the Exodus over and over because it was the definitive moment when they were set free. God's deliverance out of slavery was a tangible moment in their history, making his eternal and lasting love known. It was a picture even that points us ahead to Jesus Christ and his life and his burial and his resurrection. That, that the psalm that, that we, are, we recognize the eternal love of God because of how he delivers us from what enslaves us. So here's my question. What is the definitive time that you can look back to that marks God's love for you? You see, like the Israelites of verses 10 through 16, we should reflect on a time that we placed our faith in Jesus, that this is the moment I was set free. What is it for you? Let me give you a little bit of a different approach to that. If you were tasked with writing this portion of the psalm, of God's enduring love, what would your psalm look like? How would you write this? How would you go, man, this is the moment, this is what it looks like for me. And just so you don't think I'm asking you to do that, I, I, I tried to do this myself, and this is kind of what it sounded like. You reached me on Father's Day, 1997. His love endures forever. And in our home, we did love each other, but bitterness and brokenness often define the day. Your love endures forever. Your word presented clarity in a time of complexity. His love endures forever. His presence declared meaning. His love endures forever. And to him that provides acceptance and salvation and a place of refuge, his love endures forever. Man, what's your psalm? What's your psalm? I would love it for nothing more than this, that I come to my office tomorrow morning and I open up my email and some of you took that challenge on and that you wrote your own psalm reflecting on the time that God set you free. It would beat any other email that I would get tomorrow. Um, I would love to open that up because here's what I promise I would do this with you. I will read this and I will worship with you. It is so much better to think about that, man, to hear about your freedom and that we got to reflect that back to God and we got to do this together. You don't have to send it back to me, but I'm challenging you to write your own portion of this psalm. What's the definitive moment that marks God's love for you? What is that time? And maybe that day is today. It might be today that your psalm gets written. It's how we worship. We worship by turning his enduring love into thanksgiving. Well, that psalm keeps going, doesn't it? Not only are we marking that time in Israel's history, in our own personal history, but he keeps going on with that history. In verses 17 through 22, the psalmist recounts Israel's history in their uh, victories that they had. In fact, he's actually uh, retelling the events of Numbers 21 and of Joshua chapter 12. And you can go back to Numbers 21 and Joshua 12 and go read about the details that he's referring to. It'll make sense of those names that are in, in the middle of that psalm. But the key thing that he's reflecting on here, these battles, these victories that Israel had in their history was not because of the might of their army, not because of the brilliance of the strategy that they approached the battlefield with, 
But the key to their victory is that they are a result of God's warring activities on his people's behalf. Man, here's the deal. This part of the psalm tells us that we have a place, that we have a spot to belong. God's warring activity on our behalf tells us that because his love endures forever. If you have a place, if you have a shelter, if you can say that you have a tribe, then you have cause to worship. You have cause and reason to believe that God's love endures forever. These are all signs of his enduring love. And in God's infinite wisdom, even for those of us that struggle to kind of identify those places, those tribes, he gives us a place. He authors what he calls the church. And, and yeah, in, in, in the Bible, the church is the people of God. Like that is the base of what it is. That if you find another person who believes the scriptures like you do, uh, that, that that person's part of the church. But, but he doesn't just give us that, man. It, it's not just God's people. But we in here, we have a place to gather today. Like specifically talking about this part of the body that we call South Rock Christian Church. Man, this is a place that we get to belong, and it gives us reason to worship. We ought not take this lightly. We gather here with friends, and we gather with families, and we even call ourselves family, albeit imperfect and sometimes dysfunctional. But how special is it to pray for our families here? How much of a privilege is it to lift someone else's name that's in this room and take it before the throne of the one who creates and sustains the world? Man, this is a place for friendship. It's a place for community. It's a place where we can mess up and grace is abundant. In my class on Sunday mornings, we talk about this quite a bit. I tell them all the time, man, if you ever hear of a perfect church, do not go. You're going to mess that perfection up, man. (laughs) Don't do it because it doesn't exist. The only perfect part about the church is the one who created it, is the one who oversees it, is the one whose love endures forever. And man, we get to tap into that together. Some of the things that mess up in our lives may cost us a lot of things. It may cost us a relationship. Some of my sin may cost me even jobs or opportunities and places within other spots of our community. But what it does not cost is God's love for you and I. His love endures forever. This place reminds us of that. Man, a few weeks ago, I ran into a guy uh, who, uh, who said, hey, man, you, you're Nick, aren't you? That's always my favorite way that conversation starts. I'm like, I might be. <laughs> uh, what, what's going on? He says, you may not remember this, but at camp a long time ago, uh, when I was a junior hire, uh, you and I played football together, and he starts describing the scene. I was like, I remember this scene very, very well. Uh, it was about 22 years ago, uh, and we were at Lake Wilson, and uh, we were actually dodging a bunch of tornadoes that week of camp, but we had junior hires with us, and we were in part of the lake, and for me, the lake was just, ab- we were in the level of water, just above my knees, and so for our junior hires, for some of them, it was like up to their chest and armpits and things like this, and we started throwing a football around, and then all of a sudden, a football game broke into. Now, playing football with junior hires, this is the kind of football I'm really good at, okay? And this poor kid... Uh, a pass was thrown to him, and what he didn't see was me. <laughs> and I leveled this kid, all right? I felt like what it might feel like to play in the NFL, okay? Um, 
as long as I'm not playing with people my own age and playing with people that are much, much younger and smaller than me, I thought I killed him. Um, we hit him, everyone, collectively, oh, and then he didn't get up out of the water. And I'm like, oh, man. And so I reached down, I found him, and I pulled him up, and he kind of shook it off, and he goes, that was awesome. <laughs> Can we do that again? No, we cannot, man. <laughs> no, we can't. Um, but he was telling me about this because when I ran, I ran into him a, a few weeks ago, and, of course, he's grown up. He's married. He has his own kids, and they're starting to go to camp and things like this. And he's telling me about his life story and how he's still connected to that same church. And he said, hey, I remember that day very, very well. He said, because that was the first thing I ever did with that church and with that youth group. I said, so I just murdered you on your first day? He goes, yeah, but here's the deal. This is what he told me. He goes, what I, what I felt that day what I, and what I experienced that day is that you treated me just like you treated the rest of the kids that were in the youth group. He said, when you hit me like that, I knew that I was a part of this place, of this thing. I was like, that's incredible. <laughs> that's incredible. But his faith journey began with that, right? And he's telling me all of this. And I sit there and go, man, God's love endures forever. And God's love endures forever. We have a place. God gave us a place. His love endures forever. Well, he finishes the, uh, the psalm like this, that God provides. Those last few verses, man, God provides. How has God provided for you? The psalmist brings us to a place of a meal, that this is the place that we're going to reflect on his provision. Meals are an excellent time for us to reflect on that to reflect on how God and what God provides. Every time my family sits down for a meal, we all say the same prayer over and over and over again. Lord, we thank you for this meal. We thank you for the hands that put it together. We thank you for the money to pay for it. And the truth is this though, isn't it? We live in an abundance of provision. We live in an abundance of God's provision. When we consider what God provides for us, we ought to consider his enduring love for us that how he shows up in our history, how he shows up and defines certain spots for us, and how he continues to sustain and provide for us ought to move us into a place where we are worshiping the one whose love endures forever. See, this psalm is probably the simplest one that we'll encounter. 26 times the psalmist tells us what he's writing about. He's telling us God doesn't love you this much. He doesn't just love you this much, but he loves you this much. And he consistently shows up to demonstrate that to you. Do you have reason to be thankful for today? Maybe this psalm has jarred something in you that you just need someone to pray with you about. Man, I just need to express that. And our decision point people are going to be over there by the doors. They would love to help you with that. They would do, love more than anything they would love to pray with you that, that, that prayer of thanksgiving. But the biggest thing we want you to know is of God's enduring love. That infinite love that has been, uh, never been on display as much as it was on the cross where Jesus laid down his life for us to show you that he loves you this much. He loves you this much. And the only thing you are required to do today is just accept it. Man, just believe it. You don't have to analyze it. You don't have to break it down. Man, just take it. Just take it. It's free. He loves you this much. If you're ready to start your psalm today of God's enduring love, our Decision Point people are ready for you with that. 
But the biggest response we can give as the collective people of God is simply to worship him because of what he does and who he is. And so that's what our invitation is this morning. So would you guys stand and as we sing this song, let's worship this morning.